Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirade film movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. From the University of Northern Arizona, six feet, 9,000 pounds, William Johnson! Yes. Not bad. Northern Arizona. What's the mascot of the Northern Arizona University? The Lumberjack. Well, you do know how to handle some wood, Will. <laughs> That's there true. Well, All I right. mean, I've been a, I've been a lumberjack, and then I went to a bunch of different colleges, and I'm, I'm a sun devil, and I'm a right. saint. I, I think I'm a wheel with horns on it. That's where I when I went to Cambridge. I, w- I went to St. Catherine's College, the same college of Ian McKellen and Stephen Hawking, and it's just Damn. A, with like horns on it so i don't know what that is i, I guess I'm wheel like death. with horns on it well like spikes or something i don't know i'm, I'm like a death like, wheel yeah it sounds like a sex den device that you would use out there that's in true so too that sounds about right you know yeah. lady come on over i have a wheel with horns on it um <laughs> yeah but ladies and gentlemen we're damn glad to have you folks with or without horns this is all for tangent's sake where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate in the end uh, no matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. Today, we bring you a new release. We're going to be talking about Ben Affleck's Air, recommended by Amazon Studios, trying to put a theatrical release out there. First one of theirs in a few years. Normally, they go straight to streaming. So that's going to be interesting. Um, our format, for those of you who never heard the show, is this. The recommending lover is going to go first. We have actually not decided when the coin toss here. Who is that going to be? But we'll see that how, what happens in a minute here. Um, mm-hmm. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for about 30 minutes of shared conversation with a hissy fit really gets chippy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, put on your shoes, lace them up, and let's go. Uh, Will, are you a lover or are you a hater here? Absolute lover. Of this oh, one. so um, like like five stars or four stars? Where 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 do you did, land here? Well, I I did what you hate. I did four and a half. Then you are a half star higher than me. Fire away. You go first as the lover okay. slot. Then. Alrighty. Um. Well. Uh. And I'll have you keep time because I forgot. Deal. Um. So. Uh. I've always been uh, an Aflac guy. Um. You know, I think, I mean, I probably had seen Aflac in something before, maybe like School Ties or whatever, um, before Goodwill Hunting, maybe Mall Rats or something. Uh, but before he was like a name, you know, I saw Goodwill Hunting and uh, I, I, he really stuck out to me and I always kind of enjoyed his work. And um, I defended him a lot when he went through his rough period. <laughs> and uh, I've always just been a big Aflac fan. And so when he started getting into directing, um, you know, I thought, okay, you know, uh, it's, these things can go, uh, many different ways. Uh, you know, sometimes you just get that blank check cause you're a movie star and you make something and maybe it's not that great, but I did notice that he's an, actually an excellent film director. Um, so I've gotten to the point and, you know, this is his fifth film is air, uh, where, you know, like I don't even necessarily need to see a trailer or even that much about it. If I know that it's directed by Affleck or starring Affleck, I'm probably going to be interested, you know? And, um, but I mean, anyone who knows me knows, you know, basketball is my primary sport. You know, I, I played it for a long time. I coach it still to this day. Um, and I especially love, you know, nineties era basketball. Now this is, this movie takes place in the eighties, but Michael Jordan was such a, figurehead of the game in the 90s you know you think about 
watching on Sunday mornings, Christmas Day, you know, the playoffs were appointment viewing. And a lot of that was because Jordan was always involved in that. Um, so having a story set in the 80s um, in, in a situation where I know, I just knew trusting Aflac that this wasn't going to be like a Stranger Things nostalgia trip kind of movie like he just like he did with Argo and like he does with uh you know uh, live by night and gone baby gone like he seems very um faithful to his environments um there it isn't there for flashiness or um like I said a cheap nostalgia so even though it's got some of those 80s things uh i i kind of had faith that this was going to be an honest portrayal of the 80s not a glamorous hey look at look it's the 80s kind of thing uh maybe the cell phone in the car uh bit might be the one exception but um yeah i i just was like ben affleck's directing it's about michael jordan it's about the design of a shoe it's also got an insane insanely great cast i mean i was sold on this movie before i even saw it and so you know, we talk about expectations a lot on this show. I, you know, obviously had expectations going into this one and it met all of those and more. Um, to me, it's his second best film as a director. Uh, Gone Baby Gone is hard to beat uh, for me of the five films he's directed, but this is pretty damn close um, because just everything's clicking on all cylinders. It's a immersive environment, a great atmosphere and the biggest compliment you can give a film like this is when going into the movie, you know everything that is going to happen. You know how this story ends. You know what happens to everybody involved uh, in terms of the big names, Michael Jordan, Nike, uh, uh, all the Phil Knight, etc. If you can get a director and actor's that can still sell the tension and stress and doubt in you, even though you know how it's going to end. That is a true gifted craftsperson. And that's why air is so great is because you walk in knowing how this ends and you're still on the edge of your seat, excited to see what's going to happen. And in my case, ready to go see it again. Uh, and I re I would recommend it highly to many people. And I actually want to take my, daughter to see it and and the reason why is because and don may know this too um being a teacher uh but you know i teach seventh grade kids and those shoes that they're showing in this movie are the shoes the kids wear today jordans are still uh an epic important shoe uh to kids and culture and sneakerheads and everybody. So to see this branded as the new shoe that is changing the world and to see the same exact shoe on kids' feet, kids' feet, kids' feet in my classroom is shows you how important it, in terms of pop culture and consumerism this shoe was and and Ben Affleck captures that perfectly in the film. Well done. Well done. Look at you. 16 seconds to spare. Nice. Yeah. I mean, cancel the timer so it doesn't ding on here. No, I'm right there with you. Um, I'm not, um, you know me, I don't do half stars, so I settled at four. I could have easily jumped up to five. Um, I might kind of think about that five here for a second and, you know, between now and the end of the year. I'm not normally a guy who adjusts his ratings and all that, but uh, no, I'm, I'm with you. They had me at Ben Affleck. Uh, they had me at Matt Damon. They had me at seeing chris tucker on the screen again like this stat cast really does have a lot and uh for me um 
the angle I kind of went into it a little bit was um, with you same way. Like um, you, you know exactly what, how this story is going to end. It's um, but it's that interesting journey along the way. And what I kind of keyed into um, my website's called every movie has a lesson. So I'm always that teacher trying to find life lessons and things. And I kind of chart them in my review as I go when, when I write not so much on film obsessive, but back in the home side, I do. And I was um, just uh, super impressed and, and, and uh, um, kind of inspired by, the uh, the ten principles of Nike that were on the back wall of Affleck's office that uh, came up in pretty much every little step along the story, and I realized that um, I kind of went out. You know, the movie shows them on the wall, but then it shows them in little snippets. But I I found the master list, and it apparently was written in a 1977 memo by Jason Bateman's character Rob. And um, the the ten uh, just for for, the, for fun and to fill some minutes here, um, the ten principles are, and for me. The guy who does the life lessons like this wrote my review for me. <laughs> um, normally, I have to kind of, you know, hunt down the chestnuts that I roast. But for this movie, they numbered them perfectly. And it, the fun part was each one of these things. And that's kind of where the, the screenwriter and Affleck come into play is like each one of these really show up in the movie in terms of something in the journey to get to the end that we know is coming. Number one, our businesses change. Number two, we're on offense all the time. Number three, perfect results count, not a perfect process. Break the rules, fight the law. Number four, this is as much about battle as it is about business. Number five, assume nothing. Make sure people keep their promises. Push yourselves, push others, stretch the possible. Number six, live off the land. Number seven, your job isn't done until the job is done. Number eight, dangers, bureaucracy, personal ambition, energy takers versus energy givers, knowing your weaknesses. Don't get too many things on the platter. Number nine, it won't be pretty. And number 10, if we do the right things, we'll make damn, we'll make money damn near automatic. And those 10 things were part of this journey to get Michael Jordan from Nike. And each of those 10 things you can take beyond the screen into how they kind of put together the film. It's just super brilliant in terms of just being a crowd pleasing, you know, R rated F word slinging, you know, uh, just fun little movie for adults. Um, yes, you could take your teenagers to it because it still kind of just keeps it, you know, pretty even killed and nothing dirty and crazy and anything like that. But, um, you know, to our, I think a lot of times we see these like, you know, salacious 80s, you know, decadent, you know, business deal of things we think is going to be the Wolf of Wall Street. We're going to be pumping a bunch of quaaludes and someone's going to be coked up to the, to the gills. But no, you got, you know, Beaverton, Oregon, little Zen kind of, you know, let's do business because we love the sports and we love what we do kind of thing. And then they just seek out a good deal, uh, play themselves as honest as they can, um, jump through these 10 hurdles to get to where they're going and find, you know, a, truly a diamond in the rough of a player who, um, you know, very few people then saw what he would turn into now as being a generational uh, personality, influence, idol, talent, all that. And you, this movie gets to kind of, you know, hang around in that, you know, in that aura, in that, in that whiff of the fragrance that is the greatness that came out of Michael Jordan. And that's just fun, you know, and it, of course I'm biased. I'm a Chicagoan, went to a very, you know, a very hometown crowd, Chicago screening where it was half press, half public. And, uh, you know, the, the, the people were eager just to see Michael Jordan. And I think if anything disappointed people from the movie is you've got a shrouded Michael Jordan, most of the movie where you see the back of his head and the back of his shoulders. But uh, for the most part, the, the fun part is you get to, I mean, you get great actors having a great time. No one is acting really out of their element. They're, they're just, you know what, this is my wheelhouse. You're going to see the best of my wheelhouse next to the best of their wheelhouse next to the best of that wheelhouse. Cause we've seen Viola Davis, 
make people cry and be a, a grizzled resolve of a mama. We've seen Ben, we've seen Matt be a grinder. We've seen Ben be a man of authority. We've seen Jason Bateman be the cool guy at the office. No one is acting out of their element and they don't have to because when you get to number 10, if they do the right things, we'll make, we'll make money damn near automatic. And this movie is money. Um, I'm, I, I hope it has a run on the big screen. I know it's kind of straight to Amazon, but uh, this is one of those movies where you can, you can take anybody to it. Easy crowd pleaser. I uh, just, yeah, I, a damn good time at the movies, uh, home or away. And same thing, 16 seconds left. Nice. Yeah. Let me get a quick read for you folks. Uh, let's take a quick break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. What's up, gang? This is Hoptimus. You've been listening to one of the great new podcasts from Ruminations Radio Network. If you want some more tasty sound vibes, come check out my new podcast, The Retro Futurist Culture, where we talk about alternate timelines, cyberpunk, anime, and other crazy worlds. If that does not strike your fancy, we have plenty of other great shows at RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. All right, welcome back. Yeah, um, this one just, man, hit all the notes. It was so good. Well, I want to address – there's two things I want to talk about. One of them I want to address with you real quick about the Jordan thing, about showing Michael Jordan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I watch, uh, I've watched a lot of interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff on this movie. And uh, yeah. Aflac, a testament to his, his instincts as a director, You know, he said that the reason why you never see Michael Jordan other than archival clips mm-hmm. is because um, once you see an actor – portray someone who is still very relevant. Um, yeah. You know, in, in today, like people, even kids know what Michael Jordan looks like, even though they've never seen him play and he hasn't played. In yeah. He's been retired years. for 20, yeah, 23 years. It's crazy. So to, I, I think it was wise to not show him because he said that that effect, mm-hmm. it would ruin the legend of the film because then you are seeing someone who is clearly not Michael Jordan. As yeah. Michael Jordan. And I think, the reason why we don't have to do that with a lot of historical figures that are maybe older or dead is mm-hmm. because there is a lot of distance. Like, you know, you don't think yeah. about that with Winston Churchill or, no. or even Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. or, um, Abraham you know, come, Lincoln. Yeah. Come, come, yeah, coming up like George, there's a George Foreman movie coming out soon. Right. I don't think a lot of kids when I, t- I, I, kids don't even know George Foreman from the grill anymore. No, like it's, that's like, dated too. Right. You know, so it's like, uh, it's air fryers know. and instant pots around here. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, I think it was actually a brilliant touch. I know people might've been disappointed, but I guarantee yeah. they would be more disappointed if they saw an I think so actor too. trying to capture someone so iconic. So yeah. I got to praise Affleck for that. I, I think I, so too. Um, I know, uh, I agree. I, I didn't need to see him. Um, I think the Chicago, like I said, the Chicago, more casual crowds, like let's see Jordan, let's see Jordan. It's just like I said, just to be in the room, with you know it, it would be an actor but at the same time i think they're i think the mystique is still there especially when yep. it would be one less thing you can read about the the body language of the meaning of where that's going to go by the time you get to the climax like you can't see jordan's face you just kind of see the body language of him supposedly not wanting to be there touching that shoe and being maybe a little impressed but you just don't know until that phone call comes from mom that seals the deal and i well, i think that puts the suspense in the right character puts it in the right place yeah i like it well, too no problem this- here and this, and I'm going to go into more Affleck as a director here because I'm okay. going to use this episode as a lot to praise him. But mm. um, the other thing about it is, is that one of the things that sells this, the tension of this movie okay. is the fact that despite the fact that Jordan 
hit a game-winning shot to win an NCAA title. A lot of people, for, everyone thinks of the six rings. They also mm-hmm. forget that he won a college title as well. Yeah. Um, but he was, for all intensive purposes, an unknown in, in, in a lot of ways. He was, mm-hmm. you know, popular and he was, you know, people knew who he was in college. But, you know, Affleck does this great job of by not showing him you're also kind of in the same boat as everyone who doesn't believe Matt Damon, Sonny Vaccaro. Cause it's like, yeah. you're not seeing it either. Like, mm-hmm. you, like the whole, the whole thing they're telling him is like his Sonny Vaccaro's whole thing is like, you need to see what I see in Jordan, this yeah. killer. And when you're denied access to actually see the person and you're supposed to go in blind, like Sonny Vaccaro mm-hmm. and you're surrounded by all these people that are doubtful, I think it adds to that dramatic tension a little bit. I, yeah. I know it's a little, I might be reaching a little bit on the artistic side, but sure. I think it actually also, not only do you not want to see someone try to depict a legend who's still very much with us, but I also think it adds to the drama of they're really going in on someone that is not sold yet. Mm-hmm. And and I think that the script reflects that too, because yes, sir. There's, a, there's a great sequence. I don't know how much of an NBA nut you are now. I can hang, my, you know, my favorite sequence. One of my favorite sequences was when they, when Nike had the draft board up Oh, uh, and, and I was yeah. just like, Oh, I remember that guy. Like, like there yeah. was things that I know there's names on there that a lot of people don't know. Like for instance, right. like really low down on the list was this, uh, this guy that ended up getting drafted. I don't know if he was drafted by the Clippers, but he played on the Clippers. His name was Michael Cage. Mm-hmm. And he actually led the league in rebounds one year. Like he sure. was a leading rebounder. And I saw that name and I was just like, oh yeah, like it's funny how hindsight can play with this because yeah, oh, John yeah. Stockton was really low on the yeah, list. Yeah, there's there's and, six Hall of Famers in the 84 NBA draft. Um, oh, that's a huge and, draft. And five of them are in the first round. One of them is a lucky second rounder. And yeah, so uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's stock stacked. Yeah. But it it also the script is kind of brilliant because we and I say we as in like NBA fans, right? Like we have mm-hmm. that hindsight working for us. We know that oh, yeah. drafting Sam Bowie ahead of Michael Jordan was a catastrophic mistake. Oh, now, yeah. I'm one of these people kind of like with Bill Buckner and in, in baseball with the ball going you know he'll always be remembered for the ball going between his legs right you know sam Bowie was not an awful nba player it's just the fact that he was he was drafted ahead of michael jordan that cursed him for the rest of his life Mm -hmm. you know and uh but it's funny because there's a sequence in the film where uh that there's a clerk at a grocery store and he's just like, Oh yeah, Sam Bowie's going to be great. Cause people yeah, got to remember that Portland, it. Portland is in Oregon and that's where, uh-huh. you know, so they're, they're more local as well. They're like, Oh, Sam Bowie's great. We didn't want Michael Jordan. We want to, you know, a center. Yeah. Oh, and a little guard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the game was a lot different back then too. Centers that's were. True. Yeah. Seven, I mean, one, seven, one brick shit house. Sam Bowie was going right after Elijah. Yeah, yeah. And remember Akeem was number one. I oh, mean, yeah. so at, centers were still where mm-hmm. it was at back then and would it only get more like that for a while. Mm-hmm. With with Shaq coming a few, you know, yeah, I think Ewing later. was eighty five and Shaq, you know, yep. seven years later in eight, ninety what ninety one, ninety two, ninety nine, yeah, ninety two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, um, it's still the place to be, yeah, yeah. So it's I, I think it's kind of brilliant because we can sit there and go like, oh yeah, Sam Bowie, he sucks. Like, why would Nike go after him? But the film does a great job of showing you that none of this was written in stone. Like Michael mm-hmm. Jordan was, despite what we know about him now, a unknown quantity because he was mm-hmm. on uh, another thing people forget uh is he was on a unc team that was you know uh, dean smith very um 
uh, wasn't that Perkins team. and Worthy before him? Like that's a right. They were on that. Too. They yeah. were on the, those teams, but also I believe that it, he was a very team oriented player. There was no outstanding. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you could tell the talent, the cream was rising sure. to the top. But like for instance, you know, Jordan wasn't averaging thirty five on no, UNC. Like he was sixteen. I remember. Yeah, he yeah. was very much a systematic cog in the wheel of that mm-hmm. system. So he was definitely an unknown. And so, so I got to give credit to the script for that, for, you know, even though we know what's going to happen, you know, mm-hmm. we're so invested in the characters in the story yeah, that we are, it's easy for me to mentally go in there and put myself in their place and go, yeah, there were all these guys before Michael Jordan and after him that they could get. And, yeah. and we don't know. And it's a different league. And, um, you know, that was, that was kind of fun. Um, and I also think the brilliance of the directing um, falls into um, putting. I think the other half of that is you know, we're, you're kind of spelling out the hindsight 2020 facts. Like we know the we know the the framework that is out there you know, that we that we know the history has taught us about where these players are, where David Falk comes in, where the parents come in. We know what's going to happen to James Jordan someday. You know, mm-hmm. we, we know all of the road ahead the fun part that this movie has and i think this also kind of lends to hopefully where you're going with with direction is in terms of like script and people and like these meetings and all the moments that is likely all embellished fiction you know like like there's a good chance none of this happened this exact same way of like payphone at the convenience store and late nights with this and and the, you know the, the the snack bar like a thousand different little factors Absolutely. and things and and where that, and that's where i think ben takes over with, and a good screenplay takes over is you have the merger of known history pretty, I, I hate to say predictable history but again like the journey is the fun part with all of this how can we embellish this and make this sound amazing from a fictional and entertaining standpoint. Of course, yeah. And, and they don't miss a beat there in terms of just giving you something entertaining. You know, you let Jason Bateman come into a room and like that, that draft board scene, just kind of piss down on, on his subordinates underneath them, push back and challenge like, hey, we still need this. Yeah, the, the pusher, you know, you, you well, need a little yeah. bit of that. You've got the, uh, what is it? Win over the mamas with Chris Tucker. Like you've got all the, you let the personalities be personalities because when you get to the unknowns or at least the lesser knowns, you can have room to just have run free and have wild. And you've got great actors to do that. So, Yeah. And I remember what I was going to say is that, okay. um, and, and I'm actually, before I get into that, I actually watched something today that's very similar to what you're talking about. I w- actually watched the Paterno today with Al Pacino. And a lot of that is, you know, conversations and situations with characters that are like mm-hmm. take place like in Joe Paterno's house. There's no way that we know for sure if these actually right. happened. But what what the filmmakers were doing was taking that, like you said, those established facts and mm-hmm. those characteristics and just adding it onto an embellished fictional part yeah. to sell the story. And that's kind of what happens here. But what I was going to say is is even though we know what's really going to happen is Affleck and the screenwriter, which um, I believe it is, uh, what is it? Uh, Alex Convery or whatever. Yeah. First timer debut Hollywood screenplay, this kid. Nice. Good one too. Yeah. And to get, to get pulled by Affleck and, you know, to bring back Damon, like you're, you're the guy plucked and picked to do that. That's nice job, Alex. Well, what they, what they do really, what was really smart about the script and the directing is, instead of making the whole thing just this quest to sign Michael Jordan is that every character, every major character 
kind of gets a mini arc that you get invested in that you want to see through. Mm-hmm. Um, the big yeah, one, the, the, the office politics matter as much as the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for sure. Yeah, like, like, like the big one for me is, uh, uh, Ben Affleck's Phil Knight, who yeah. we, who I kind of know now as the annoying guy that gives university of Oregon new uniforms, <laughs> every fucking yeah. game. It's annoying. Um, but no, um, because what they do is it's a classic story. You know, they, they talk about the Zen master who was a renegade selling shoes out of his car. And now he is answering to a board and not going with his best instincts. Right. So there's a little mini arc there where you're invested to see how he's going to turn that around. So you're mm-hmm. kind of like, it's not just about Jordan. You're like, I wonder how Phil Knight is going to be Phil Knight again. Yeah. Sonny Vaccaro, you're looking at, you know, the gambling streak, his, and, the gambling uh-huh. streak, the, the mm-hmm. reputation, even Chris Tucker's character, yeah. who's a real, who's a real life person, X player, um, mm-hmm. X player with the bum knee, you know, so he's yeah. trying his thing. Jason Bateman's got the limited uh, parenting time. I, I love that because like, there's that great scene, obviously Bateman and Dave, Damon have that good scene of like, just discussing what that, what that looks like for Bateman. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm missing, I'm missing a Saturday, I'm missing a quarter of my time with my kid. And, but then like, Right when I love that the unspoken scene that calls back to it later, where Damon's kind of in a place of like, man, I I, I got to get this right because he looks over, sees a working Bateman, wordless goes, shit, I'm working for that guy. I need to get that. I need to get things right for that guy, not just me mm-hmm. in line in my pocket. Love that scene, wordless yeah. scene, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and I also think that um, even someone like me who I think is fairly educated on the sports world and especially the NBA history and things like that. Um, it does a really good job of adding layers that, I mean, cause I think a lot of people will be like, Oh yeah, of course it's a shoe that, you know, everyone loves even to this day. So you have that hindsight thing, but True. it also was, I mean, when I grew up, you and I were roughly the same age. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when I grew up, I mean, there was, shoes with people's names on them that was the thing you're like oh did you get the new sean kemp's oh did you get the new this or that and also uh by adding that element of the the idea of someone getting paid for their likeness which is Mm -hmm. something that Mm -hmm. the percentage thing i mean that was i I think we we take that for granted now and even like i said even me someone who is knowledgeable about that stuff it's been so much the status quo that right. I kind of forgot that that had to start somewhere too. And so mm-hmm. it gives Viola Davis as the mother who I believe is still alive. She is, you know, it gives like a little power to that character, a little more sympathy yeah. to that one. Cause you're like, no wonder Michael Jordan himself is so dedicated to his mother because it's not that just that she's his mom, but like, she's also like kind of a genius for like being mm-hmm. like, no, this is what's going to happen. Um, and uh, yeah, it just, I, I think it is, the characters and the way that they are presented it's this movie isn't its whole thing is not just about signing Michael Jordan. It's about all the people in that universe. I agree. How it, how this decision will impact the rest of their lives that gets you mm-hmm. invested. It, despite, even though, you know, they're going to come out on top. Yeah. Um, so I definitely, it, I'm with you. Great. I didn't, I didn't know those footnotes along the way. Like I didn't know Jordan was the first one to get percentages like that. I didn't know Sonny Vaccaro later would do the Ed O'Bannon college get that i did not know like, See, that I was, was like cool. damn I, how about that you know i did um, not know that that was cool yeah. like i learned something too for the movie because i was like oh sunny vaccaro though that and it makes sense because like the way that they uh you know uh weave that through the picture you know mm-hmm. um it's it's just great i i just i can't the only movie that i've 
enjoyed more this year and it's it's like it's almost one a one b is okay. the, the dungeons and dragons movie because it's just ah, it's a blast. i gotta catch up to you on that yeah, one man but it's yeah. uh but i mean i'm basically like if you told me right now like okay you're gonna go see both of those movies in a double feature <laughs> i'm gonna go to that every day even though i've seen them both. Yeah. they're both really fun movies this one is i would probably say a better crafted movie it's a better written movie oh sure um, yeah you know, i think than, it had that going than, for sure than dungeons and dragons but dungeons and dragons is just fun but uh i mean i think we're in a nice little we're in a nice little uh pocket right now with some really good films coming out yeah i, I i'm happy to see it because um i know i guess we we all point the finger a lot of times at intellectual property and ip and all that and i i mean you're bringing the jordan name and the nike name to a movie like this where in a way this is borrowing another ip to kind of tell a non-ip story but still kind of promote sure. an ip uh where i know i i still call this like you can make this movie in 1996 and nothing would change like this would be part uh, it'd be fantastic you know like it was well, one of those we, kind of movies where there's a timeless fact i mean I, it's a period piece to 1984 which might be thanks to that montage at the beginning i realized like man that is that the best pop culture year ever because it was wrestlemania <laughs> madonna michael jackson the, the olympics it was crazy it was jordan Beverly you know, Hills like, Beverly oh, Hills it, oh it was um, so many things like there's a rhinestone reference for Laura, oh yeah Laura, and, Laura Knight out there. Incredible. Um, but no um well i also think it is i don't think you could have made this movie four years ago no, or, I agree. or four years from now, because right now we are in that like eighties pocket. That's so true. It, but, yeah. but this is, this is why I respect the film more too, because I think it's, it would be really easy to make something that is nostalgia mm-hmm. heavy. That is uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Manipulative. Like, yes. just like, look at me, look at me, eighties culture. Yeah. And I think this is taking advantage of that trend of eighties stuff, but making that, I mean, I, I mean, I, I know it's fake, but if I mm-hmm. suspend my disbelief, like I never got like, I mean, you know, Matt Damon isn't like, you know, uh, Patrick Bateman or something. It's not like no, he's you're right. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's glorified. He's wearing all the cool 80s stuff, the cool mm-hmm. cars. Like everyone seems very lived in. Yeah. And the 80s seems very real. Like that office feels very 80s. Like oh, it sure. feels with the cubicles not, and low tech and. Mm-hmm. But but other than that one cell phone thing, which is actually a, an honest emotion we've all had, oh, we totally. like I'm making a call from the from the car. Like, yeah, there's really no like look at me. It's the 80s. It just no, I, I think the, the I think the the film was smart to spool that out at the beginning with that 1984 montage of clips and mm-hmm. clips and media. I think you got like maybe like two throwaway scenes of somebody in the office playing the handheld football game, like like that in the cell phone are like the only really like oh look here we got to throw a little eighties piece in here. Well, um, and also the, that, that's, the, that's very low and very small. It, it would be very easy to with the needle drops to. I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're pretty all, sweet soundtrack by the way. They're all yeah. famous songs, but they're not like. They're Slap not you the, on the head. Yeah. They're not the first ones I would go to if someone said, okay, what's the ultimate 80s oh, like, yeah. playlist? Yeah. And that's that's what makes it great, too, is there are definitely needle drops, mm-hmm. but they're not, like, once again, they're not trying to get, like, the most yeah. 
you know, 80s out of it, it's like, okay, this is probably something that would be on the radio, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah, during they, that time they, period. They, you know? they pick nice, I mean, obviously familiar stuff, but at, at the time, mid-tier but popular enough, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, that soundtrack is Great props soundtrack. to music supervisor Andrea Von Forster, where she did like, she currently does Yellowstone, she did 500 Days of Summer. This, right now, I know it only had, it's only going to hold the title for like two weeks, but like, uh, or I guess maybe a month, but like, it's easily the best soundtrack of the year already. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, knowing what James Gunn does, Neil Dravis will probably yeah. be the next contender. But it was pretty sweet. Um, there's one guy I got to bring up who I feel like I, I can't say steals the movie. You're not going to steal a movie from Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and big hitters like they will not let themselves get stolen on, so to speak. But mm-hmm. Chris Messina playing David Falk, That's you good. need you need one loud guy to go up against all these little Zen masters from Oregon. Who are who are slick and pushers, but you need you need one asshole, and boy does he play a world oh, class, yeah. fantastic, but still funny and charming asshole. And I, yeah, Chris Messina, I, give me more of him any chance you get. So, yeah, no, he was great. I mean, I, I can't really find a single problem um, with the cast at all, really. Yeah, I mean. I mean I, well, I think one thing I was surprised didn't show up here because it would be something that a lesser movie would do just to, um just to check off a box, just to add another wrinkle. Like cause you, you said it earlier where everybody has a, an arc, you know, um, mm-hmm. at the office and with their little personal lives. I was expecting some side B story romance for somebody hmm. uh, where we're just an excuse to have a female cast member that isn't Viola Davis oh, and, and they didn't have one. So I was happy about that. Cause I'm like, that would just be, it would feel tacked on. It would feel thrown. It would feel oh, cliche, sure. you know? So I'm glad that's not there. Um, I think the other thing I thought was um, that I just I enjoyed this. The convenience of is, uh, I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of that office cheering when they close the deal, but it still feels very like, and I would cheer if I was that office too. But at the same time, the coda of this movie is just, you know, as forthright and as, as I keep moving forward, we're always on offense, kind of go back to those principles. Like mm-hmm. it's not, they didn't change the way they do business just because all of a sudden they were going to get rich. It, it, like they kept pushing, they kept the vision. They, 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 they didn't lose principles just to get this one good deal. Right. I, I right. admire that. I think we've seen a lot of movies where there's always a, uh, I don't want to say a fall from grace or a dabble into the, the, the ne'er-do-well behavior or like you lose your soul to get the thing you want. None of that was there. You, you have good, good, there, good well, dudes making a good decision who stay good dudes. There was in order to keep the film feel good. There is a passing reference. And we all know that Affleck and Damon are pretty progressive, socially conscious people. I mean, this is, I think their first film under that production house they've created where it's the equity, like for all the below the line people, I ah, think it is, okay. but the, you know, you can't talk about Nike without talking about the sweatshops and things like that. And they do, they do make a passing reference to it. And Jason Bateman, I think his character says something like, Oh, by the way, you know that we get these shoes produced in whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of like, well, you know, he talks about how bad it is. And then he's like, well, I've kind of pushed it. like, but it's not, it's not to the point where you're like, you hate Jason Bateman. It's, it's kind of like all of us. It's like people that go to the store and go like, well, I'm going to buy these Nikes despite the fact that I know, you know, a seven-year-old Chinese kid put these together for five cents a day. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but yeah, for the feel-good nature, I'm sure that they probably, the, the uh, uh, what do you call it? The sports agent character is probably the most, about as sinister as this movie is going to get in any yeah. context. It was never going to get more evil than that. And I'm happy it didn't, yeah. you know. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing, too, is uh, for those 
looking for it uh, as an NBA fan, uh, NBA historian kind of guy, and also mm-hmm. someone who knows Aflac and Damon as Boston guys. That's there's true. a really lot of great, like extra bits of humor in here that dig at like the Lakers and Los oh, Angeles. Yeah, and definitely. it was funny. Cause I was, I was kind of laughing the whole movie cause they'd make these little digs mm-hmm. at like the Lakers, you know? Uh, and, uh, like a lot of people were kind of like, I wonder what this guy's laughing at. And I'm like, that's, I mean, it's one of those things where like, you can appreciate the humor that's on display. That's broad, but also there's like little, yeah. little hints, uh, you know, there that, that little Boston humor comes out of, mm-hmm. uh, of the script, which I really enjoyed. So is there, is there a week, a week, a week link anywhere? Is there anybody you would have is miscast recast? Is there, is there somebody you just, um, I mean, yeah. if I have, if I have to look, Mm-hmm. So let's let me let me preface this by I have to look to find something. Oh, I so know. I have to think about it. Other than the yeah. well shrouded Jordan, which Affleck to me, no, I had blessed no and took. Yeah, me too. Me too. So I no, won't. I after that, I would say I'm not sure why they cast Jay Moore, comedian Jay Moore, as one of the Adidas oh, guys. Yeah, yeah. That distracted me a little bit because yeah. I was expecting him to be more. I mean, I'm not that Jay Moore is like this huge star. No, but. but like I usually, if you put Jay Moore in a picture, you're going to at least get a little bit of a joke mm-hmm. or he's going to, he's a, he's enough of a name that he's going to play some kind of role. And he kind of just stood in the background a couple of times, had a few lines. I mean, it was something that anyone right. could literally play. So, I mean, if I'm looking for a weak link, it's like, I got you. Why didn't they use Jay Moore? But I mean, this where I'm yeah. scraping the bottom of the barrel to find something. I hear you there. This movie. No, <laughs> I, I don't have one either. Like I said, I'm glad they didn't, add a scrape from the bottom of the barrel with, with some half-hearted love interest. I like that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't necessary and it works out. All right. I guess, um, seeing how important Chris Tucker's character would become in terms of like taking over the Jordan brand and all that, I guess I would, if I'm dialing this movie up five more minutes here and taking five minutes away from somebody else, I'd give Chris Tucker one more scene somewhere, but maybe that's oh, sure, uh, sure. that relationship likely more than anything comes out of, everything that happens historically after this. I could, I could have totally used, so. used another Marlon Wayans scene too. I thought he was really mm, good. Yeah. That, um, yeah. Cause he also super influential going forward with, with, with you know, that's one Nike, scene. So. You know, yeah. That's one scene, but solid and, scene too. Yeah. Solid scene. And then, uh, you know what? I mean, be, considering that the first montage of the eighties is so excellent. Yeah. I it's was <laughs> hoping for a little bit more, of the montage in the end credits. So like, I mean, oh, I'm, talk- I'm, not I think you, the, yeah. I'm not even talking about the movie proper anymore. It's just like, they, they do show some Jordan highlights, but yeah. like, I kind of feel like there was a lot they missed of the Jordan highlights. Yeah. I think they but stayed like, on the, the Nike ad campaign. Cause that's the Nike yeah. end of where things went. I love, 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 love. Like maybe one of the best edited montages I've ever seen is, um, Damon's pivot in the climactic meeting where yeah. you, the future plays out in the video clips. We know, uh, as he's given, as he's fucking, thing yeah, is, oh, I know, but, oh, was, but as brutal. he's given that speech, you know, of, of why this deal, why now, why this, who you are, we see it now. I love that all of those flickers come across that likely we all know that aren't, haven't happened yet, but we know are coming. Um, yeah. is it, is it, or is it overly convenient and, and high that, that a speech of a character would, would hit all the perfect notes? Probably, it, you know, it's Damon, you know, Probably the most, I don't want to say the most overacting that's there, but like you, you're yeah. given a, you're given a gem of a, of a montage and he nails it and crushes it. But I love, I loved how that was put together. I'm going to, not that Michael Jordan needs any defending, but mm. 
I will say one thing because in that montage, they look at his baseball career as a failure. Here's my thing. Here's my thing about Jordan playing baseball. And I will defend it because, you know, he wasn't sure what he was going to be doing with his life at that point. He was in a little bit of an emotional crisis. There's also a conspiracy out there that he was shadow banned from the NBA for a couple of years for gambling Mm. issues, blah, blah, blah. Ah, I won't get into any of that. But what I will say is for a human being who had not played any kind of baseball in any capacity since he was probably 13 years old yeah to go into a minor league team double a and triple a yeah. and hit and hit 217 including right. homers mm-hmm. that's incredible that just goes that to yeah. me that shows me more of how great of an athlete michael jordan is than anything else i like i know people like to joke that his baseball thing was a failure mm-hmm. and yeah he wasn't he didn't make it to the major leagues and yeah, he wasn't so a huge star especially but then. he was yeah. like his athleticism and determination brought him places that mm-hmm. people that talk shit about it could never even get in close to. Right. And that's to me, I'll always appreciate that about his baseball career. So I don't know why we're segueing into that, but it's okay. I know. I, I, would, I yeah. think that's part of the legacy that, that comes into play and, and comes out of this movie. And yeah, it's worth, worth talking about. Um, I didn't know until doing the research today before coming into re- coming in for the show. Uh, your usual Scorsese go to cinematographer Robert Richardson came in and shot this movie in QT too. Yeah, right. Like um, I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it, mm-hmm. it has that feel to it because it's got which, that. Period which Tarantino piece. movie is that one? Once Upon a Time, Once upon in, time Hollywood. in Hollywood. Yeah, which one is that one? Oh, third episode of our show, the one that you, yeah. It's the first episode defend, of right? our show. It is the first episode of our show. Good yeah, point. which, God, uh, I don't want to listen to that. I don't know what that sounds like. Oh, but. I I bet we, I got to go back and listen to it. But uh, no, um, I think the most Richardson-looking scene is probably that Marlon Wayans bar interview where yeah. they play with focus so smartly where you're not two-camera cutting. You're just kind of moving from one man to another in a, in a smooth little way. I was, I was impressed. There's little, you know, it's, little tricks it's, here, little tricks there all over the place where it, it's funny. You mention Scorsese because I, you know, I was actually thinking about this. Affleck is kind of as a director, just if you look at the five Uh-oh. projects he's done, you, you're going to call him Scorsese jr. No, no, no. I'm not going to call okay. him Scorsese jr. Because not only will everyone hate me for making that <laughs> uh, comparison, yeah. But no, I, I was, I, I think Affleck is not mentioned in the name of direct. Like a lot of times you can say a name of a director and you kind of mm-hmm. already know just by saying the name, you kind of already know how it's going to look, how it's edited how it's together. He doesn't get enough credit for being, um, he is a Scorsese like director. He knows he how is. to use, he knows how to I was going to help use. defend you, even though I was going to make fun of you. I was yeah, yeah, no, no, he, he, he is Scorsese light and I'm very okay with it. The way that he films boston and some of yep. his films the way that he tackles period pieces with Agreed. in terms of like like L- live by night uh, is not like messy it's but messy period, but period detail spot on the period detail is gorgeous it reminds yeah. me of like the aviator you know oh, it's the sure. same thing which i yeah. also thought was messy mm-hmm. but and then you know he he has this knack for nailing like you know you mentioned about the the wolf of wall street like yeah yeah that was that also didn't that played with the nostalgia of the eighties excess, but it wasn't necessarily a look at, it wasn't like a stranger things eighties, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it, it was still very like, um, instrumental to, uh, the plot and wasn't like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, manipulative. And, I and agree. just the, the two, the two Boston films that he did, 
you know, Gone Baby Gone in the town. I mean, I mm-hmm. I feel those are just as yeah. truly Boston as something like Mean Streets is or Goodfellas or was I agree. New York. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, I yeah. I think Affleck if he's going to hitch a stylistic and shrewd wagon to a direct to a director that can kind of show him around it or at least give him good influence he's picking a great place with Scorsese. And I feel like so far Ben Affleck hasn't, um, you know, I, I push back on Scorsese lately, especially lately with just budgets where yeah, the, sure, the sure. guy who used to be a, you know, bootstrap and shoelace filmmaker who, you know, squeezed the most out of what was there, made, made things look more natural, got the best performances out of their actors in, in smaller settings where, where, the, where, what, where what mattered was the, was the script and the product more than the big spectacle of production like Scorsese to me has lost sight of that for a very long time um yep. some of that is good some of that is bad like if 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 he's going to throw money into something with some spectacle and make Hugo I can't argue with that um the we've talked about the Irishman and other things where it just those movies don't need to cost 150 million dollars north uh, for air to cost between 70 and 90 is what's reported that's it's getting high. It's not, I don't think I forgot the kind of level of haircut he took on live by night, but if he, by today's money, that's a nice modest film. Well, and I think Ben Affleck is a very good guy about making, keeping, making very good things that stay nice and modest. He's never going to sink a studio. He's going to deliver fantastic co-stars and good people. Cause he's such, he's so well liked in the industry that, yeah. you, you know, look at the cast he wrote for this. And well, it let's put bottom. it this way. Let's put it this way. You can see the money on screen in the, in a positive way. Definitely. When you, when you watch something like the Irishman, I, you're mm-hmm. seeing, you're not seeing where the money is because of yeah. the story being told, or you're seeing it in a negative way because the special effects they probably spent a trillion dollars on mm-hmm. look like shit. Yeah. So it's, you know, I totally agree with you on that one. It's like, yeah, 70 to 90 is a little high, yeah. But at the same time, you do have some big name stars and you do have the, the cost of having that lived in environment mm-hmm. is, is you have to have, you know, an entire building set that yeah. looks like it's in the 80s. I mean, everything yeah. down to what's on the uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 the money's there. I mean, yeah. I don't I don't but, think but, it's wasted. You know, no, it, it yeah, that's the wasted. thing. Affleck uses it smartly, never goes too high. Um, I think the other guy who is he's older than him but in that wheelhouse of like actor transitioning to director who has always like changed genres doesn't stay in one rut but at the same time always provides steadiness professionalism polish and brings great co-stars is george clooney uh absolutely great comparison yeah including a year or two ago where he brought in affleck for the tender bar you know where he he finds good people he finds good people in good places lets his actors work um, and, and creates a great environment where it's, it's positive. It's, it's collaborative and you never, you just don't hear the bad stories on sets that you do occasionally from Scorsese, a little bit from the lostness of Nolan's, like you don't hear bad set stories from an Affleck or yeah. Oh gosh, Coppola. Um, but you don't hear those bad stories from an Affleck or a Clooney film. And you normally, maybe they miss here or there and what they do, but they're never wasted efforts. That's the fun part about what both those guys can do. Absolutely. Someday I feel like Matt Damon's going to join them. Like he, I think, I mean, he's obviously making the most and doing the best of what he can in his prime while he's still got it as an actor, but I'm waiting for him to, for sure. to pivot and put himself behind the camera. Cause he maybe more so than Ben, I th- well, definitely more so than Ben has surrounded himself to always work with the absolute best 
in their wheelhouse in their game where you can't tell me a few things haven't rubbed off on him where oh, he'll sure. uncork an Eastwoodish film because he's worked with Eastwood where he'll uncork something. So watch out for Matt Damon someday too. Who knows? I hope so. I hope me so. Too. I, I'm with you on that one. But uh, mm-hmm. all right. So closing uh, thoughts here. Uh, closing thoughts. Just go see it, guys. I mean, I don't yeah. know what else to play. It's just it's great. I mean, just go see it. It, <laughs> it, it yeah. <laughs> It deserves your money if you catch it on the big screen. If not, no, no harm, no foul in watching it on Amazon Prime. So and you uh, don't have to be a sports fan. No, because that's everybody, the cool part. everybody in the world knows what the Michael Jordan logo is, whether you know mm-hmm. basketball or not. I mean, it, definitely, Mike, Michael Jordan is one of those. <clears throat> uh, I mean, it's almost a term now, not just a name that everybody knows. I mean, you could say that someone is the Michael Jordan of this, and everyone knows exactly what you're talking about, whether they have never seen a single. That's second right. of tape of what Michael Jordan has done. Yeah. You know? I think we, 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 you know, I've done the iconography thing where, uh, what did people always say that the Superman S is the second most recognized yep. outside of the, the Christ cross in the world. Yep. Something tells me that Jumpman Jordan logo is in the top five. You well, know, I mean, people have been be. talking about people have been talking about putting that as the NBA logo forever. Oh, I mean, sure. I don't see yeah. why not. I mean, that might cost a lot of money, but well, I don't isn't know, it? But... Uh, isn't like isn't it? Jerry West is the silhouette of the NBA logo. Jerry West is he's called the logo. That's his yeah. name. Like that's his nickname. But, but if that were if you were to evolve it to just be Jordan, psh, it'd be amazing. Oh, you'd have to. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, there's nobody else that nobody I, I can see close. that is even close to him mm-hmm. in terms of impact and. Yeah, well, we, we could go on about that oh, forever. Sure so could. let's let's uh, let's let's yeah. outro this puppy. Um, so everybody, I want you to follow uh, me and Don on Twitter at Cinephile Fit. We're on Facebook, Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, and we're on Instagram at Cinephile Fits. Find both of us by name on Letterbox to check out our film reviews and ratings. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hizzy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25YL Media. If you enjoyed this show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.